when I was chewing my mushrooms, I remember chewing it and chewing it and chewing it until there was nothing left in my mouth because the, the thalamine sages, they wouldn't eat the mushroom and swallow it. It bypasses the enterohepatic system or the liver and the kidneys. If you just chew it and let it sublingually uh, absorb into the mucal membranes in your mouth and the top of your, uh, in the top of your palate and under your tongue. So there's no body load. You don't feel a heavy stomach. You don't feel any back pain. Wait, 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 wait. And you're, you're just chewing you're, it. You, okay, so you're telling me, like, the next time I eat mushrooms, just chew? Hello, it's your host, Kat Walsh, and you're listening to another episode of Trip On This. This podcast is for mature audiences and is not suitable for young children. Trip On This is intended for entertainment purposes only, and we do not condone the use of illegal substances. Enjoy the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's your host, Kat. Thank you so much for being here for another episode of Trip on This. This one's a goodie, and it's completely different than other ones I've had. I'm with Acacia Lewis. Acacia is an anthropologist, a plant medicine researcher, and the founder of Divine Master Alchemy. During this episode, we talk so much about how the ancient indigenous and modern day indigenous use plant medicine themselves, what some of the hero's journey for them looks like, and some actual practical tips on taking very high dose macrodoses of mushrooms, if one is to journey, of course, safely in a place that they can. She's actually lives in Mexico where she does a ton of her research and has quite the stories to tell on this episode. I'm really looking forward for everyone to dive in. Get ready to learn some stuff on this episode. That's all I'm going to say. I told her, I was like, there's at least 50 to 60 things that I had no idea about that you talked about. So yeah, I have to go back and watch this episode myself again, just to pick up on all of the valuable information that she talks about. And one of the key parts about this is that it's not just good to know information. She does a wonderful job of drawing the line of how knowing how the ancients and modern indigenous use plant medicine and the stories behind their own journeys, right? And how she has now incorporated that into her own life. What it actually means to her as she walked through the day as Acacia Lewis. So really good stuff. I can't wait for y'all to see it. Few things before the episode begins. All right. So as many of you know, my spiritual journey is what lights me up. And if you've listened to, what was that? Entering the Miracle? No, I forgot the name of it. Um, my last solo episode, I had mentioned that I'm going to be starting a new podcast, uh, mostly around the spiritual journey. And that is still all underway. But what I did want to also talk about is mindfulness meditations. So for a long time, I've been doing mindfulness meditations for friends of mine at my friend's weddings, like just to calm everyone down and get into their space. And you know, it just came to me that I was like, you know, I'm using my voice and I love to connect with people. And as a way to support myself, I am now offering personalized, customized mindfulness meditations made just for you. So essentially how it would work is I would have you fill out just a short questionnaire about what are some of the themes that are going on for you, 
you know, what, um, what are some of the topics that you like to focus on, whether it's love or abundance. And I would just kind of tap into my own uh, inner wisdom and kind of hear what you have going on and then just bring through something that is custom made for you. The messages would be about two to three minutes minimum. Sometimes they might be a little bit longer and then I would send them off to you. I'm doing them in packages of two and five, two for 22 and five for 55, in which I would email them to you either daily or weekly, however we decide that we would like to do it. So if that sounds interesting, reach out to me. I will link the email into this. Um, where you can reach out and just get more information about how it works. This would just be a fun way for me to, one, connect with you, and two, just help support me and the show to keep it all going, folks. And so last things. Okay, wait, let's see. Oh, yeah. And of course, if you're not following me in socials, you know where to go in the link to or in the copy of this link. Head over there and uh, give me a follow. I'm on all the socials and stay connected with me that way. Thank you all so much. And with that, please enjoy this next episode with Acacia Lewis. Well, I think this is a perfect little segue into introducing my next guest. I'm with Acacia Lewis. Acacia, it's such a pleasure to have you here. I can't wait to pick your brain about not just only your own journey with plant medicine, but just learning about the ancient, how the ancients and modern day indigenous are using plant medicine why it's important for us in this modern day to know, you know, about these uh, rituals and the way that they use it and why it's important that we can find ways to integrate it into our own lives. So welcome, my dear. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You know, it's just really wonderful uh, uh, to be here, just being able to share about some, some of the more, I guess you could say, lesser known plants and entheogens that have shaped my my journey so thank you for having me yeah absolutely and I think you just said that you just kind of so for everyone listening like we're Acacia really this is going to be a total learning lesson for me and probably for a lot of people she was already talking about certain plants that I've never heard of and you know really just diving into some of these really ancient even fungi, right? There's mushrooms that you work with that I'm not really familiar with. And so everyone, we're going to deep dive into, yeah, like she said, the lesser known, the lesser known entheogens. And, but before, Acacia, before we begin, I just need to know, when did your own plant medicine journey begin? Five years old at Cowan County Community College campus, Googling my own name. (laughs) Oh, right. (laughs) I was like five years old. (laughs) Like, what is acacia and why does it say it contains DMT? I want to know what DMT is. Wow. (laughs) You know, um, so it started off, you know, um, me as a kid, uh, my parents would call me nature girl because I'd be out, you know, picking onions and, you know, I was a real tomboy, picking up rocks from by the river, you know, trying to identify plants really young. And I was a bookworm. So my parents pulled me out of school when I was five and start homeschooling me. So it gave me the space to be able to go to the park and spend like three hours with as many books as I could find on plants or the encyclopedia of plant medicine when I was like five and six. So I'd be eating my breakfast and I'd be like studying, you know, like the encyclopedia of trees or be studying tree leaves or I'd be studying, you know, how to use, how to make a poultice or 
you know, and that was every day, you know, studying. So how you even just your, I mean, you're five and six and you're reading these books. I'm just very impressed with your, like the, the level of your reading and where you were at to even have that level of curiosity at such a young age. It has to be, that must have been unusual for your parents. They're like, wow. Okay. (laughs) Well, my mom, my mom said, well, I was playing Mozart, you know, before you were born. And she apparently had a dream about me with my name being Acacia. So she spelled it with an E instead of an I, Mm. because there was an Acacia fraternity where I was from at Indiana University, where I was born. I was born in Bloomington, Indiana. Mm. So she didn't want my name to be associated negatively with the fraternity house. So she named it uh, Acacia with an E instead of an I. So, yeah. So I, I actually you know, grew up studying. My mom was kind of a a researcher in her own right, but, you know, and more of like biblical research. So Mm. she was studying, you know, the Bible and she found my name in the Bible, but it wasn't associated with the tree necessarily. It was actually a town that the Israelites fled Egypt into as a town of refuge. Mm. So, you know, growing up, I heard about my mom telling me, oh, it was the wood that made the Ark of the Covenant. I was like four and five years old. And I was like, why is that? A thing. So I started trying to answer these questions about the things that my mom would tell me. And I started finding out, okay, my mom is quite the researcher, you know, herself, mm-hmm. you know, she was the first uh, woman in our family to graduate college. And, you know, I just give big ups to my mom because she went to criminal uh, justice. You know, my mom was in law school, you know, before I was born and uh, finally graduated magna cum laude from Indiana University as the first person in our family to graduate college. Nice. And she struggled, like, really being, like, one of the first, I think, Black women, like, to be a sheriff and stuff, like, in the areas that she was in. I know that there weren't that very many. Um, so my mom came from a law enforcement background and named me after an entheogen. (laughs) I was going to say, I was like, and you do plant medicine research. Love this. Like, how you went into... (laughs) This whole realm, although you've been in Mexico, right? So you're able to actually study freely. Oh, I, yeah, and that's partially why I moved to Mexico. Like I, I live in Mexico most of the time because you know it's very acceptable. You know, mm-hmm. in the Sierra Madre region where I live, you know, it's six hours uh, to the east of Huautla, where Maria Sabina was from, mm-hmm. and uh, in Huautla, you know, there's there's still a huge culture of the mushroom, but. Maria Sabina, you know, introducing it to the West was a huge ordeal, you know, for her village and for her town to have hippies coming and tripping in the streets, you know, and um, I'm very sympathetic to that. So I live in San Jose del Pacifico. I don't want to go and, you know, take the mushroom in Huatla. I take it in, you know, the mushroom throne. That's what they call it, the Nahua throne. And um, this is an area where you're 9,000 feet up. And you're able to see clouds racing up the cliffs that look almost human. Sometimes they look like dragons. Sometimes they they have like a, a distinct appearance or a physical appearance to them. You know, you'll be walking through the tr- through the town, and then all of a sudden the clouds will come above the mountain, and you know you'll be walking down the street, and all of a sudden a cloud will like cross across you know the the highway or across the street, and it looks like you know racing horses, and then it'll disappear. You know, like. Wow. in the blink of an eye yeah and this is an area where the zapotecorum mushroom can be found and psilocybin zapotecorum is one of the world's strongest mushrooms you know next to aztecorum's uh, cerulean sense you know they're just now doing research on this mushroom but my teacher uh at the time you know i have many different teachers i've had over the course of my development but um i really give uh honor and gratitude to baba kalindi and he was one of the people who i was going to mexico to uh, attend a retreat of in 2018 
And we had been talking for years before that, but he said that it was his favorite place to trip. And now this man's traveled to South Africa, West Africa, Australia, the UK, uh, India, um, uh, Czechoslovakia, like all these places, you know, and um, he's tried mushrooms from almost every different strain and wild mushrooms, et cetera. He said that the Zapotecorum was his favorite mushroom. So I immediately got curious, like, why is this your favorite mushroom? Sure. And um, in 2018, we took 21 grams and uh, and Bufo at the same wait, wait, wait. time. You took 21 grams Bufo. of, of this. You took 21 grams of the strongest mushroom you can have, or second strongest. Yes. And 5-MeO-DMT. Yes. yes. <laughs> yes. But it wasn't at the same time. It was like earlier in the day, like. We took a, we took Bufo like around 3 p.m. And then we went in at night with the mushroom right afterwards. Oh my and God, explosion of consciousness. It was amazing. It was, it was one of the most life-changing experiences I've ever had. I'm sure. You know, and um, this was a retreat called Food of the Gods that Baba Kalindi put on. And, you know, up until that point, what you didn't see was 10 years of me working with the mushroom, like since I turned uh, 16, like I had had trips before then that were really small, like microdose type trips. But yeah. on my 16th birthday, I, I really had that breakthrough seven gram trip. And I didn't even know that that was a high dose. Like oh, I started off higher. Yeah. Seven of, grams at 16. You know, <laughs> oh, whoa. Yeah. But it was because I was suicidal. You know, I had mm. suicidal depression and, you know, my friends were basically trying to save my life without telling me that's what they were trying to do. And so, you know, somebody passed my boyfriend at the time, seven grams of Penelius, uh, high white incense. And I, I had eaten it with a full chocolate bar outside of the Houston uh, Museum of Natural Sciences. You know, so my first trip was in public <laughs> and wow. it was extremely powerful, but I, I was just, I, I didn't know that it was a big deal to eat that much. So I wasn't feeling anxious or oh, upset or, or afraid. Yeah, you just knew you were going to go on a so trip naturally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was handing out sage to the security guards in in the museum, <laughs> <laughs> and sitting there with a giant bag of sage, like inhaling the beautiful smell and the aroma, and then seeing all of these fractal designs on the floor. I was like, why did nobody ever tell me about this? I'm like disappointed. Like you guys are just now telling me about this. Wow. You know? Wow. <laughs> and so I. I went to like the Egyptian exhibit. I went to, you know, the exhibit with the butterflies, the Arboretum exhibit. And I remember studying, you know, the patterns on the undersides of the butterfly wings and then going to the rock exhibit and seeing these massive stones that are like these celestial smoky quartz that when I put my hand next to them, I could feel something. I was like, what is that that I'm feeling when I put my hand like next to this rock, mm. you know? And so... I started recognizing that there was more to the human experience than what I had initially thought. You know, I was studying astrophysics when I was a teenager. So I had immediately left, you know, SMU. And as a senior, you know, I had run out of money. That was my, my, as a transfer student, you only got like three years of scholarship. And I had like a five-year degree plan. Yeah. So I was astrophysics, geophysics, mathematics, and computer science. Oh my God. So I, I was under a lot of pressure and, you know, I, my first really bad relationship, that pressure just, you know, it just killed me essentially on the inside. Mm -hmm. And to be able to have that experience, not only, you know, put in perspective, all of the baggage that I've been carrying that the pressure got to that extreme yeah. and it helped me to release, you know, I started talking about the things that were going on in my life with my boyfriend and, 
we walked like 12, 15 miles at night in Houston on this high dose of mushrooms, just unpacking things that I've been holding on to, like trying to figure my dad out. Like I, I had been nonverbal for so long. Mm. That was like shaking up a bottle and then taking the lid of the bottle off. And then just all this pressure comes out. And that's all my words that I've been, you know, suppressing for that long. Yeah. So wow. my introduction. I mean, was, but I, I see why just that alone, right? You're, you're, allowing you're you're feeling a sense of freedom ultimately because you're you're taking the cork off that bottle and it allowed for expression because you know I think the one thing that I'm certainly learning in my life is how when we suppress feelings and emotions and and our truth it uh it manifests in the body in some way whether it's depression or a physical ailment or Mm -hmm. something along those lines and it's 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 beautiful that you got the opportunity to see that at 16, honestly, and that didn't continue on. Was your boyfriend also on mushrooms when you guys were having this talk? Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 And, and, and w- what what was the kind of resolution for you guys? Were you able to work through it or was the resolution like you all need to figure your own stuff out? No, and- no, he was very supportive. You know, I was, I was very lucky at that time because I didn't understand you know, the, the issues that one can run into, you know, taking mushrooms around like a partner or whatnot. And we didn't have any problems at all. You know, later on, I found out, uh, many years later that he had, you know, gotten himself into a bad crowd of people, ended up getting addicted to meth and then having to go into rehab. And, you know, he became a completely different person after that. We don't really speak anymore, but during that time, you know, before he went the dark route, as I, as I call it, you know, um, what was really beautiful is that we were able to go to the Japanese gardens together. We were able to see, you know, all of these beautiful lilies and uh, read about this art and read about its history. And that's when I started becoming excited about researching again, because, you know, as a young student in college, you know, I had this hunger for knowledge mm-hmm. and it really sparked an organic hunger for knowledge. It wasn't because I felt I had to study it's because I wanted to study again, you know, yeah. that ever since childhood, I've, I've always been a researcher, Yeah, yeah. you know, and so I got back onto that path and that's the path that I've stayed on pretty much, you know, since then. Yeah, beautiful. I'm so glad it, it puts you back on the path and puts you back on something that you've got a, it sounds like an insatiable appetite for knowledge and learning, which is such, uh, which is admirable, you know, there's a lot of people that just, including myself, like that was never uh it's, it's really only come in my adulthood where the quest for knowledge has really taken center stage. And for me, it's very much my inner path, right? Inner knowledge. But we need people like you to help us bring in wisdom. And, you know, we're going to segue into some of the learnings. But even before we get into some of the specifics around what it is, what we're learning about the ancients, right? What we're learning about how they've used psychedelics, why do you feel it's important for listeners to understand this information? Why is it important for us to know how the ancients use plant medicine, to know how they use it today? And, and, and what well, are some of those ways yeah. to kind of segue into how do we adopt some of it and also create it within a container that, that makes sense to us today, right? Especially in the Western culture. Well, there's ancient solutions to modern problems, and most of those are either kept secret or forgotten. So that's why it's really important for us, you know, as inquisitive souls to really push the boundaries of what can be found, what can be confirmed through firsthand observation, 
today just as the ancients did Mm -hmm. and then also to be storytellers to not let these traditions die out and to also show them the honor and respect that they really deserve but to understand how the ancients valued those things Mm -hmm. why they kept them secret why they were so heavily guarded why it isn't that it's not a five minute Google search away. Sometimes it's a year or two of research and then going and tracking down that one elder who has that one story that Mm -hmm. makes it all make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so that, you know, our kids and our kids' kids, you know, seven generations from now, we're able to not regress. We're able to progress, you know, into something that is more than what we are right now, you know, which is hopefully more conscious, tapped in, healthy, uh, healing individuals, you know? Yeah. Amen. So Amen to that. Yeah. So I, I'm going to just butcher this real quick, but we're going to get into <laughs> some of the, uh, we're going to dive into the ancient past is what we're going to do right now. And, uh, so Sounds fun. I had saw you talking just a little bit about this, but I would love for you to elaborate. Can you talk to us about the avatars of what is it? Tionanactical. Mushroom culture in India, China, Mexico, Kemet, and Bali. Take some time here because I assume I I know nothing. So just assume everybody else might know not know a whole lot about this. <laughs> well, the word uh Tionanakatl or Tionanaka, mm-hmm. I, I would say that. You know, you're going to see this on a bunch of signs in Mexico. That's that's actually a Nahual word that that's referring directly to the mushroom. And it's referring directly to the sacred blood flowers of Quetzalcoatl. OK, and Quetzalcoatl uh, is a Mayan or mixed tech avatar or character. I'm not going to call him a deity because um, he's not considered, uh, I guess you could say, the deity. You are the avatar of Quetzalcoatl that is experiencing this this trip into the underworld you know it took me a long time to recognize that the ancient Aztec philosophers were more monotheistic than we give them credit for today they had names for all their deities but these names were really more placeholders for a greater energy and motion process that was happening that they call Teotl okay mm-hmm. so when you think of Teotl or Ometeotl, which is the great I am, or the great, uh, I guess you could say, divinity of creation. Mm-hmm. You know, the cosmos, everything that exists, it falls under the uh, tutelage of Teotl, which is this, uh, not a God that is, you know, an angry God or a masculine or a feminine God. It, it's really just a name for everything that we're experiencing. Even myself, even yourself, they have a name for that and it falls under Teotl. Okay. So, Quetzalcoatl is uh, part of, he's the main character in the journey of the deified heart, which is this Yodotono mixed tech codex. And uh, one of my friends and good, good teachers, uh, Tom Lane, he ended up gifting me this book from James Mafia of University of Maryland that is basically a decoding of the anthropological and philosophical relevance of ancient Aztec philosophers as it pertains to understanding this journey of the deified heart and understanding the characters therein. So in this pictograph that's basically deerskin stuccoed over, you see the character Quetzalcoatl as this kind of like dragon headed character holding two mushrooms and he's eating two mushrooms as he goes through this, um, almost like a video game, this pictographic Mm. um, uh, hieroglyphic story. 
and it's it's red from uh, right to left and an upside down U. So you get to see each step that this character goes through as he's eating the mushrooms. So he'll eat two mushrooms and he'll talk to his sage, which is uh, symbolized by another character who he's talking to. Then uh, he'll go into the period where he's looking up at the underworld and he's pointing upwards. And then you'll see next to that, that image, this fearsome, uh, ugly skull that's got blood dripping from its mouth, symbolizing Zabalba or the god of death, the most fearsome character, right? Mm. And he's cut its head off and he's got it in his right hand and he's holding it like, I cut this guy's head off. (laughs) (laughs) And he's looking upward and then he sees all these other sages, these Tlalamine sages, they're called Tlalamine sages, the bee mushroom priests of ancient Aztec times. This was the initiation for the warrior priests of the mushroom. They were both warriors and they were both priests. Interesting. And so they would eat the mushroom and then they would go and meet up with each other. So you see people from other cultures, you know, black, white, orange, green, from other dimensions, like alien looking creatures. They call the off or the OTH in anthropology. Mm-hmm. They're the other. We don't know what they are. Right. Okay. So uh, he meets these otherworldly beings and then he starts coming down. I think it's awesome that he starts coming down in the trip and it starts to curve uh, downwards to the left. And then he goes through the period where he, his legs are up in the air and it symbolizes him cleaning up his disorganized life or him entering this lake where he has to be cleansed. He has to pass through this vortex. And once he passes through uh, or, or cleans up, I guess you could say his disorganized state that he was in with his legs up in the air flailing, mm-hmm. he comes down and then he becomes the jaguar warrior Tlaloc on one side and at the same time, the two-faced Quetzalcoatl, his face is pointing this way and this way at the same time, mm-hmm. where you can see past, present, and future as the same timeline. Wow. And so this is the journey of the deified heart. And in this journey, like I've, I've gone through this journey myself, so Tom Lane gave me a Quetzalcoatl coin, because in ancient times, you would uh, eventually, once you go through this process, you would earn the name Quetzalcoatl. I was going to say, what, what, is the, what is the, now the, the story, how does it relate to the human journey? And so I, I love that you actually kind of have your own journey. So yes, I would love to hear yeah. that bridge. So what, what it, it was for me, was the period of five years, you know, after being introduced to the mushroom that I had to go through this, these phases in my development with the mushroom. And it was very symbolic for me, you know, because I've read the Egyptian Book of the Dead. I've read the Tibetan Book of the Dead. But this one in pictures, I can get with pictures and take it into my trip. So I just took the images and I stared into the images while I was eating my mushrooms in Mexico. And when I was chewing my mushrooms, I remember chewing it and chewing it and chewing it until there was nothing left in my mouth. Because the, the Ptolemyan sages, they wouldn't eat the mushroom and swallow it. It bypasses the enterohepatic system or the liver and the kidneys. If you just chew it and let it sublingually uh, absorb into the mucal membranes in your mouth and the top of your uh, in the top of your palate and under your tongue, so there's no body load. You don't feel a heavy stomach. You don't feel any back pain. Wait, 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 wait. And you're, you're just chewing you're, it. You, okay, so you're telling me, like the next time I eat mushrooms, just chew, 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 yeah. chew, chew, and just keep it in the cheeks and this and. How long are you, are we talking about chewing? Sorry, I'm just using this for well, like. Well, for fresh mushrooms, maybe five minutes and it's dissolved, but we use honey. So there's this little hieroglyph on the same codex that shows you after the first two mushrooms, you involve honey. 
with a black stingless wasp honey and it's called melipona honey which is commonly used for the eyes like if you put melipona honey in your eyes the black stingless wasp honey is so good it contains vitamin e and lutein um, everything that your eyes basically need to be healthy all the vitamins for better sight but if you drink it uh, or, or or chew it with the mushroom it makes it taste like sweet olives and lemon juice you don't even taste the funky mushroom taste Oh, wow. And it also carries the psilocybin, the glucose from the honey carries the psilocybin directly into the bloodstream. So you come up immediately as you're chewing. Oh, you I was going to say like while mouth. you were staring, cause I'm like, but then there's the, there's this whole, you know, there's the, the time that it takes for it to hit. But like, you're saying that the, almost you, when you break it, when you break it down, I, cause you know, I know when you powder it or when you do like the more you can break down the. Uh, I don't know the proper term, but break it down into the, the cellulose. Yeah, 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 exactly. The, the quicker you- The carbohydrate. Could, yeah, the quicker you do that. And so that's a very interesting tip that I'm going to remember to just chew and my teeth, this is so silly. I'm going to get back to important things, but my teeth are very, very tight together. I'm like, they're going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to have all mushroom in my teeth. It's going to be like all teeth. I'm going to be like- Actually- Yeah. If you just chew it fresh, you won't. Like, I, I don't have uh, fresh. If you chew it dried. Well, well, when you chew it dried, all you got to do is like kind of uh, soak it a little bit and, and like some lemon water. I would I would soak it a little bit so it's like moist before you do this. And then I would cover it in honey. Here's what I did. I did the cereal tech. I got some Kellogg's cornflakes and some almond milk and then covered it in honey and then just ate it that way. And the milk just kind of softened it so it didn't get all trapped inside my teeth. So you, and then you just chewed and chewed and chewed until there was nothing to yep. chew. Oh my yep. God. Yep. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much. it took much. like 10 minutes extra, but it yeah, was yeah, worth it because yeah. then I didn't have any stomach pain. <laughs> I was actually, when you said 22 grams of mushrooms, I was actually going to ask you about how your body could handle like that amount of mushroom. That's partially why I created Divine Master Alchemy. It's because I had physiological issues. So I came into this not just because I was curious, but because I had physical ailments to go with depression, like cancer, uh, like fibroid tumors, like Bartholin's tumors. Oh, um, you know, as a woman, like if you have a Bartholin's on the outside of your labia, then you can't really have penetrative sex in an enjoyable manner. So I went to Mexico my first time, not looking for the mushroom. I went down there to find a solution for my actual physical illnesses yeah, you know wow. yeah and the mushroom gave me the courage to step outside of western medicine because western medicine said if we remove it it's just going to come back in a year or two mm. and you're going to be stuck with it for the rest of your life i'm so sorry and well the the it, it's it's actually a good thing because i've helped so many other people who have fibroid tumors you know find cambo medicine which comes from the phylomedusa bicolor frog and they've been able to successfully treat fibroid tumors and things of that nature so they don't come back you know but um ultimately like I guess you could say just going back to the mushroom comments um when you when you when you allow yourself to masticate the mushrooms so that there's nothing left in your mouth mm -hmm. just expect to feel the energy moving in your heart and in your spine and in your skull there's basically going to be like this buzzing that you feel up your spine, which is like the Kundalini energy. It is the Kundalini energy, mm -hmm. but it's so much more intense when you just chew it in your mouth, because that's how the legend of Quetzalcoatl came about. They weren't trying to make a pretty dragon. They were trying to show you what your face would feel like 
when you're chewing all the psilocybin and the psilocybin's going into your face and into your cheeks, your cheeks feel elongated, like, like this, like you're like a dragon. Mm -hmm. So the dragon effigies are really just a literal representation of what you look like in your trip after chewing it and chewing it and cycling the saliva around your tongue that contains the psilocybin honey. And it's like your eyes get, get more sharp because the, the wasp honey is good for your, for your vision. Mm-hmm. So it's like your eyes feel like they've elongated so that those long eyed pictures of the, the dragon with its, with its teeth. Yeah. And then you feel the energy of the Kundalini rising uh, from, from your root all the way up to your crown. And then you can actually lift off or uh, enter that otherworldly space. Like yeah. physically you're, you're going to start encountering other people on mushrooms potentially or you know other worldly entities just like in the yodotona mixtech codex it's literally a map i think i wow thank you i in my last mushroom trip i feel like i did encounter other people i think you commented i made the yeah. video about parallel lives don't go into it too much but yeah I, I was i was uh <laughs> Got it. i was uh i was like there's like two people i'm like connected to i was like wow i i was talking and to them they look just like you and they're part of your tribe and you no, know, sometimes th- I, this, this, I mean, actually they were both black women. So they did, I mean, I'm fair as can be. And like, they were, I was talking to them like directly. I was looking in the mirror, like it was myself. I remember one was just so powerful. It was just, and I could see her kind of getting like a little, like, it looked like she was kind of getting freaked out because I think I started talking to her. I was in my experience knowing I was like, this is so strange. Like the part of my mind was still there, you know, I was still there and I was like, why, why am I seeing this woman in the mirror right now? Like, and so I just started talking. I was like, my name's Kat. I'm on a mushroom trip. (laughs) And like, I could see her looking behind her shoulder, like kind of getting like freaked out. So I'm seeing her in her mind's eye, staring in her own eyes, like presumably hearing me. That's what I felt like what was happening. And obviously I can't confirm it, except I, I was like, what's your name in my mind? Like just kind of in my head, I didn't see her say it, but I just got the words like Emily. One day, if I ever meet an Emily, I'm going to be able to okay, I so know what she looks starters, like. Yeah. Uh, my teacher, Kalindi, was telling me about this almost six years ago. You can watch his videos about the hyperdimensional village or the transdimensional village. There's actually a place or a dimension that's been fully mapped that we can access as a group. So I can take mushrooms on the West Coast and hook up with somebody on the East Coast who's taking mushrooms at the same time in this space. And we don't know what this space can do other than we can see each other face to face. And we're, we all kind of have like a, a soul connection. So it's like you or I, we are one. We feel very close to one another. We feel very safe in that space. And this is the hyperdimensional village that was, I guess you say, pictured in the Yodotono Mixtech Codex, where you could meet other people holding the mushroom in their hand, you know, in this higher space. Oh, okay. That that's all the others? The is that the others that you're talking the about? The others. Yeah, okay, the others. okay. That's yeah. the OTH, you know? And sometimes you'll you'll even meet ancestors in that space because it's not exclusive to people who are physically alive. It's exclusive to people who are on the same vibration as you, who you can then connect with and like heart and like spirit, which I think is really beautiful, you know, that we can access this space that's kind of like a playground up there, Yeah. you know, and there's other spaces above that that are talked about, you know, uh, and the Buddhist texts and like the Lotus Sutra, there's, there's other planets, you know, that are talked about in these ancient texts that were connected to somatic or 
religions or I guess you could say sages or mystics that ate the mushroom that saw these lapis lazuli temples with lotus grass you know that would melt into jewels doesn't that doesn't that sound like a trip to you Uh, it sounds like a trip to me (laughs) sure does and I've seen stuff like that I've seen it you know like firsthand you know and I felt so privileged and so grateful beyond all comprehension to have access to these unimaginably beautiful places yeah and I think that what what scares people the most is that they're like well if it can be that beautiful it could be that scary Mm -hmm. but when you really step foot into the mushroom understanding that you have to conquer your fear of death first yeah you don't carry that fear into the other places once you've let go of the fact that you think that you're mortal and that you think that you're you're you know oh i've taken a poison mushroom what's gonna happen once you deconstruct that in your own human mind or cut off the head of that ugly looking you know skull with the flames coming out of it you know you can just laugh at that stuff because you're just like I know I know that I'm going to be able to meet up with my brothers and sisters you know as as who and what I am which is a sovereign you know healer or whatever it is you identify as you know in the multiverse and have a great time today you know I'm not going to let my lower fears of mortality scare me and you know, I'm going to take that into other places how so. long how long did it take you to get past um you know what I think that's what would people would call like the ego death or just death right just feeling like you're dying and under when you are taking like macrodoses like that um how long do you Not still very do long. You, I was gonna say do you still feel any fear before a trip a no, big one? no I mean I, I feel anxious because I know I'm about to see some stuff yeah. And I have a healthy respect for the mushroom. So I don't, I, but I don't fear it. Right. Because I understand that I have the ability to communicate with it by, by putting good intention into it. You mm. know, before you do the journey of the deified heart, you got to fast for three days. You know, you got to drink a lot of water. You got to drink some cacao so that uh, you've got the right endorphins and the right hormones, the right dopamine content. So you feel happy moving into the trip. You know, there's some preparation involved and it also involves taking the mushroom and blessing it in a sacred way, the same way Maria Sabina did, you know, which means blessing it with Copal, you know, removing any negative energy that somebody else put on it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also I uh, clean the bacteria off it because Copal serves a double purpose. It's not just for, you know, these are things that you learn, like when you're hanging out with the old medicine people on the mountain, you know, it's not common knowledge, but it also takes the bacteria off the mushroom. That's why you put it over uh, the, the Copalero, um, which contains the, the hot Mexican frankincense as it's melting and it's emitting this beautiful aroma that's just deep, piney, resinous notes of orange and myrrh and frankincense. And it's cleaning the mushroom as far as um, also removing the bacteria from it as well. Interesting. Interesting. I, it's yeah. good to hear like there's obviously like a great deal of prep and and three days of fasting is uh, that's a journey in and of itself to fast like that. I've done that once before and that was one of those hard, hardest fruit, things I've ever done. You know, it, it's not it's not that difficult if you're easy on yourself with it. I'm not talking about just only drinking water. Most of the time we'll just stay away from meat and cheese and that's good enough. Oh, okay. You know? Okay. Okay. I've done like a legit three day fast and I'm it was. I've done that too, but like uh, you said, it it's extremely intense. Yeah. It's not for beginners. No, 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 no. But no. it yeah. was, uh, yeah, that's, that's wild. Um, all right. So can you talk to us a bit more? I've heard you talk a bit, just even on this episode, the plant of the gods. Now there's lots of different 
different plants and, and things. I'd love for you to pick out a couple a couple plants, plant uh, entheogens that maybe we don't know that really should have its due. Yeah, I, I would like to talk about that because, you know, Divine Master Alchemy or my school is just alchemies that the masters of whatever culture or elders worked with to access divine consciousness, whatever they call it or shape it or form it as. Mm -hmm. So there's probably about three dozen different plants that we talk about in the class. And, you know, we start off, you know, in Peru, and then we work our way around the world, you know, through the United States into Siberia, into uh, uh, Eastern China, into uh, Africa, into, you know, basically into Australia and then back up again. So we work our way through each country. We look at maybe like 20 or 30 plants per country. And so I would say that the ones that don't get enough attention, I think are virola, because uh, it contains 5-MeO-DMT and it's a plant that's generally made into either a drink or into rapé. And there's virola masters in the uh, Kahinawa tribes and Kanastawa tribes. Um, and I, I say like the Kanastawa tribes, when I say Kanastawa, I'm talking about to focus or to see better or, or the, the traditional system of looking deeper into the soul. So people who work with the Kanastawa uh, system are the Hunikun people, are the Matsez people. Um, and Piri Piri is the plant of the Kanastawa system, which is uh, when, when babies are born in certain tribes, they will drop these little eye drops into the eyes of newborn babies. And these eye drops are derived from the roots of the Cypherus articulatus plant, which is the Nile River papyrus or the Amazon River papyrus plant in this case. And this plant, its roots get infected by ergo fungus, which can produces LSA, which is, mm -hmm. you know, like a derivative. It's, it's related to LSD. And so when they drop these eye drops that contain LSD, LSA microdoses into the eyes of their newborn babies, it gives their babies a chance to see uh, what they call uh, the inside of Yube or the anaconda seeing. They're seeing the inside of reality because instead of calling it Teotl or Ome Teotl in Peru, it's considered to be Yube or the grandfather or the experience that we're all inside of. So there's this really great article called Learning to See in Western Amazonia that goes over this concept of learning to see as in how is it that uh, from birth, a lot of these young people's eyes are able to see, uh, I guess you could say the meridians of the planet or uh, find tracers that they say make up the fabric of reality itself. So, you know, I, as an astrophysicist coming into this, I was really curious, like, what are they seeing? Yeah. So I started working with a plant pretty early because I know that uh, Nile River papyrus, the seeds are considered to be tiger nut. There's tiger nut horchata. You know, the tiger nut was one of the main staples of ancient Kemet. So I was thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. If it gets easily infected, infected by ergo, were a lot of the ancient Egyptians tripping on what this this com this composition called mupkuts or the light bread? And the sediments, you know, they're super nutrient packed because it it's like a sponge. It'll absorb all the mineral content in a river. So if you're in the Amazon River Basin, you're also getting tons of nutrients from this uh, eye drop called Piri Piri and same in the Nile River Valley. So I was thinking to myself, okay, so what are they seeing? So I started working with Piri Piri. I put a blessing on the medicine. And before I knew it, I was sitting there drawing a picture and I was able, my eyes were able to zoom into the page of the picture 
And then it was almost like, you know, how you go on sketchbook on your phone and you just kind of do like that Mm -hmm. and expand. I could do that with my eyes naturally. Whoa. Whoa. Were you, did you, did you feel like you were like, are you in a trip state? Are you tripping? No, no. (gasps) I was completely stone cold sober, but I was able to control uh, my, my iris. I was able to zoom in and zoom in a little deeper and zoom in some more and then focus on that point. And then I also realized that when I thought something, when I traced something in my mind, like if I thought of, let's say a frog, I could see the frog as I was drawing on the paper. So it was almost as if I had tracer paper from my visionary space that I could project onto a sheet of paper. Unbelievable. So I just thought about. They must have given that yeah, to like hunters too, right? Like yes, people that people. Uh, at night. Right? Hunting at night, hunting like from a far, from far distances. I can see that for pilots, like anybody who, who really needs sharp vision. What a, yes. what a technology. Yeah, it was incredible. And I just sat there thinking to myself, so what else can I do? So yeah. I started wire wrapping, you know, I started doing beading and I had the focus and energy to keep it up. You know how sometimes you get tired and you're just like, I'm not doing this. You know, I've been doing this for two hours. I'm tired. I'm hungry. No, girl, I went the whole damn day. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. Where did you get it? Like, can you can you order that somewhere? Like, I guess. I, yeah, okay. you can order it. Or you can just order, you know, the actual plant from Peru and then prepare it by boiling it and, you know, making, you know, kind of like a, a microdose tonic yourself. You know, we have preparation in class, you know, where uh, people will buy either the peri-peri powder and we'll, we'll soak it, you know, in sunlight, you know, for a couple of hours to help it break down, then boil it briefly and then follow it up and use it as eye drops. You know, I also did it with my plant at home because I got so curious. I bought an actual Nile, Nile River papyrus from the garden store and my cat just loved eating the leaves. It was ridiculous. My cat wouldn't stop trying to paw at it yeah. <laughs> and eat it. So of course the plant died. And so I, I actually dug it up and powdered up the roots myself. And then boiled it down and put them into ice cubes. And I would take an ice cube and melt the ice cube a little bit and then drop a drop into both eyes before work and then put it back in the freezer. And you and you could just feel like and then you were just suddenly had superhuman vision. Yeah, it was like it was like an LSD microdose, but in the eyes. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I would work on it. I was a computer programmer. And of course, it's a legal plant, so I couldn't get in trouble for using it. And, you know, uh, and uh, what was really cool was I, I had the ability as a computer programmer to look in, in between these lines of really small code mm-hmm. and then, like, pick out the error really easily. So it helped me, like, for Java and, like, C++ yeah. script. It was really fun. So then I, I realized, okay, well, that's why all these Silicon Valley folks are doing LSD microdoses. It right. really does help with your focus. Oh, yeah. But since they're not doing it. Uh, with the eyes, I could imagine that, you know, a plant that contains lesser amounts of LSA, like, you know, ergo would probably be easier to manage because it's not going to cause you to have like sleep fatigue or, you know, physical fatigue from taking LSD, you know, which can be kind of hard on your liver a little bit. Mm, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. There's a particular... Well, you know, all psychedelics can be, yeah. essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially in the the, the larger doses. Um there's a particular plant that I just would love to know more about. Mm-hmm. The Tao's invisibility plant. Do you know about this? Yes. Can you tell me yes. more about it? I just, once I saw the invisibility plant, I was like, what is that? <laughs> Polygala. That's what Polygala. it's called? Polygala is actually a Chinese medicine herb 
it's really easy to define too. It's not an entheogen. Most of the plants I talk about aren't actually entheogens, but they have stories that are really curious, mm. you know? And so polygala is a memory tonic. It's a brain booster. It's, it's also a kidney tonic and a liver tonic. And it's one of those plants that's really mysterious because I found out about it in a Taoist uh, plant medicine and animal systems book that I was reading in class at, at the time. And I think that it talks about invisibility kind of in the upper dimensional realms, like for taking mushrooms. Can you imagine being able to go somewhere like, like seeing those women, but they can't see you kind of thing? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, so, I wasn't sure so, if they could. I was like, can you, can you guys? I wasn't sure, <laughs> I wasn't sure what so was happening. Take something like that, um, like polygala I've used as a memory tonic because at the higher doses at macrodose levels, memory becomes kind of difficult because you're experiencing so much at the same time. It's hard to break up segments of what happened first. It just becomes this one long experience. And when you try to tell someone about it, it's really hard to, you know, do beginning, middle and end. And that's how our human brains work yeah. to store our memory. We have to have a beginning and a middle and an end. So if that's getting jumbled up, then you don't have anything to really stand on as far as how you can share and bring something back into this reality as to what happened or what you experienced. Right, right. So polygala is one of those plants that you can take before your trips or even during your trip, and it will help your body to metabolize the psilocybin faster. But even more importantly, it will give you a footing on your thoughts mm, in such a way that you don't just slip and forget where you were going or forget or lose focus helps you to focus better it's it's used as a, as a natural nootropic as well okay and um, it, it's called the Taoist invisibility plant because you know I, I believe that was used with the fly the flying herbs or like wild asparagus root and wild asparagus root is one of those herbs that you can take and the first report of a Buddhist monk ever flying came from the wild asparagus root and what's interesting is they call it shatavari. Have you ever heard of that? No. Shatavari is is a um, is a woman's herb. It's used for like menopausal women and also women's hormones, etc. But it, it's something that just grows naturally in the Taoist mountain ranges. It's wild asparagus root, and when you chew it, uh, it's very cooling and very delicious. But it, it it enhances and brings about lucid dreaming or awakened dreaming. And awakened dreaming is something that happens in shamanism where you kind of zone out and enter that trance-like state. Yep. I know you've probably experienced it like yeah. on the mushroom, um, but outside of the mushroom, um, you could utilize it potentially to get into those higher states um, without, I guess you could say, identifying so much with the ego or identifying so much with the physical body. So it's almost as if you are invisible because you're not carrying with you that sense of self wherever you go mm. you're just able to experience things as they happen and then as a byproduct you're able to go and remember things as they happen without reassociating it to yourself got it that makes sense it's also in so, the buddhist uh tradition or or in that Taoist yes. because These it's all about buddhism yeah because it's all about you know i mean from from what i understand like really the ultimate awareness, right? Like ultimate presence, be here now, being like being fully, yeah. fully here in the body experiencing. And, and so just to have something that like quite literally, it's just like, you're here, you are here now, <laughs> like as instead of taking yes. you elsewhere, it's incredible how much. And it's very grounding too. Yeah. It's incredible how many of these, there's just sounds like there's so many plants and so many tools that we could potentially be working with that most of us know 
nothing about except when you come on our show and, you know, tell us all about like incredible earth. Earth has gifts for us that we know nothing about. And it's like, how, how do we, you know, like, is there, is there a sustainable way? Like if, if more people start to find out about these, these plants and herbs, like, is there, is that encouraged? You know, like, is there yes. enough? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Yeah, so you can grow them. You can grow them in, in, in your living room. Um, and another thing is the Chinese medicine market is pretty robust. It's not like these plants are going extinct anytime soon because they're already domesticated. Mm -hmm. So I teach people about Chinese medicine herbs that also have a root in Africa and that also have a root in Europe and other places. And it's like, you just have to get used to the name. Like for instance, did you know that spikenard is also called Lyup Sang in the Himalaya, Himalayan mountain lake, uh, range Definitely or not. Jadamansi root or mm -hmm. nard. No, you've probably said it, about it like about 50, 50 to 60 words on this podcast. And I'm like, Google, <laughs> Google search. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go on. Uh, I'm well, just, I'm just I calling mean, myself out for my limited knowledge. <laughs> it, it's okay. It, it's okay. You know, it's taken years to like pull all these words together. And so I created this 3D mind map multiverse for people who are just curious about the terms we have in divine master alchemy one of my students big up to mark he actually compiled all of our hashtags which is just every plant and every topic that we talk about by system and it was 36 pages long just the vocabulary wow so um when it comes down to it i actually put all of those vocabulary most of the vocabulary words i talk about frequently onto this 3D mind map. So you can actually just walk across the world and just research terms for every region you're interested in that correspond to traditions, that correspond to experiences or ecstatic experiences reported by those indigenous or cultural uh, heritage pe uh, peoples and learn about these different locations in such a way that you can pull up videos about what it was like to be trained as a Sangoma, you know, in South Africa, what herbs the Sangoma used, what were their rites of passage? What was the experience that you got out of it? You know, mm. and same with other systems from the Fong and Gabon to uh, the Bong, uh, the Bong peddlers of India, you know? you know? I think that what's so cool about that, and I think this is a good time to even just segue over to, you know, exactly what divine alchemy is. But what I love about what I'm hearing is because you're all, because you're in every continent, right? You're all over the world. It's such a, sounds like such a cool way to also tap into your own ancestral lineage and understand what your ancestors were doing and what, uh, what their rites of passage were doing and, and how to, because we all, we all have ancestors. We all have ancient wisdom that we can pull from and uh, what a, what a cool opportunity. And so I'd love for you to actually just, you know, talk about what is divine alchemy? How can people, work with you and learn about it. And I had one more question about it. Oh, and are there like tangible, I don't know, ways to be like, okay, how do I practically work with that now? How do I practically bring that into my life now? Are there tools to like find the herbs or yes. that kind of stuff? Yes. Yes. All of that. All, all of that. So I catalog like good sources for my students to purchase herbs from, from like raw, sustainably harvested locations, et cetera. And not only that, but we make alchemy, we make jiao. We, we, we actually make these ancient recipes from the Ebers papyrus, from, from different manuscripts, you know, uh, from Padma Sambhava's uh, incense um, uh, uh, recipes. That's, that's going to be one of the classes in March. 
March through May is carved out. These are like three to six month long classes. So in the class, you'll learn about the history. You'll learn about how the plant was used scientifically, medically, what the clinical research says versus what the ancient research says. And then you'll also learn how to apply it ancestrally as well. What did your ancestors eat? How does it relate to how you see the world now? How does it relate to your diet now? How does it relate to how you experience things? Because coming into plant medicine, you know, my parents uh, raised me Pentecostal slash apostolic in, you know, a very rural area in Northern uh, Texas and Plano, Texas. So I felt like I had no connection really to my culture. Uh, my dad's mom being from Panama, having Panama, uh, family in Panama, it took the mushroom really pushing me to do my own research on my own ancestry to understand what is my connection to ayahuasca? What is my connection to these other plant medicines? What is my connection to the mushroom? And why does it mean so much to me? And, you know, doing the research on a microdose really helped to go and help me to find out, okay, so there's these jaguar, you know, uh, masks or these death masks in Panama that look just like my dad's face. You know, these Panamanian war chiefs had these golden masks that had little fangs on them you know, to de denote like they they have a feline like energy or power or panther like energy. My grandfather was a black panther in Oakland. Like all of these things are a part of who and what I am. So the mushroom really helped me to break down those walls of compartmentalization mm. and to really dig into, okay, how's my ancestral lineage also connected to who and what I am now? Why do I sometimes turn into like a cat faced person on mushrooms? Is that something that that's not just cute? Is that something that's like a, an ability that my ancestors revered and respected? And it turns out it is, you know, yeah, yeah, the yeah. ability to work with the Jaguar energy and ceremony is a symbol of power and honesty and wisdom, but as well as, as a warrior, it's, it's something that you step into or wear like Tlaloc uh, as a Jaguar warrior, even in the Aztec uh, sensibility uh, to go on the battlefield and to be, to get ready to see sacrifice taking place, to get the mind conditioned for going through such a, a PTSD, probably uh, filled moment of seeing bloodshed, et cetera. Mm. As a Jaguar warrior, even if you were, were a man, you'd be considered a woman while you were on the battlefield and blood was being spilled because sacrifice was the woman's area of knowledge because she would bleed once a month, wow. you know, stuff like that, that the indigenous people uh, of various areas, even in Panama, uh, revered and respected these animal totems that they learned certain wisdoms or incorporated certain moral uh, and ethical attachments that are connected to the animal into their entheogenic journey, whether that was the condor or the falcon or the jaguar or the frog, you know, these all have a significance mm -hmm. as far as, you know, when you take the mushroom and you stare at a, a cat and it's moving all slow, you know, and showing you how it moves and how it takes care of its young, et cetera, you're learning as a human about what you can learn from the animal realm and incorporate into your reality as a human being. Mm -hmm. How can you be more deliberate? How can you stand your ground more? How can you be more caring and compassionate? Mm -hmm. You know, how can you um, see things for what they are instead of for what you want them to be, you know, with like the eagle and the condor um, and the falcon. And, and then you have things like the seven grandfather teachings. And we'll go over these different uh, foundational principles of medicine work from all these different civilizations, from the Bhagavad Gita to the Upanishads to the Quran to uh, Shigamadu Bamba and the Hasides uh, uh, to um, uh, Simeon Togo. We'll go 
to all these different traditional systems that incorporate entheogens. And we'll talk about, you know, how it impacted their entheogenic experience, or if they pulled things from their entheogenic experience and incorporated it into their religion and spiritual perspective, you know, and why. I just have to say like how impressed I am at not just your knowledge, but your ability to say it. I mean, there's so much, like, I know I'm only kind of grasping like just the smallest amount because it's such a, it's such a expansive uh, view that you have on this. And I could see it's, it's for those listening that really are feeling the call. It sounds like such an incredible body of work that people can really take a journey. And I love, I love even bringing back, you know, instead of just being like, that's cool. Like I've got, you know, Jaguar and, and just being like, it's a cool thing to know. I love how you just segued into, yeah, but what does that actually mean for you in your life? Taking things as they are to be able to move, uh, deliberately through life, right? Like the things that you were saying, like that, that to me is why it matters, right? That is why is, is the, the job of us humans, right? Is connecting the dots, right? How does, how does that, uh, symbolism, because the universe communicates to us in symbols, right? Like everything is symbolism. And so mm-hmm. how are we connecting symbolically, uh, the past ancient wisdom, the plants, the earth, whatever, into how we move in our day-to-day life. And I think that's kind of up to us with great help from you, it sounds like. <laughs> Thank you, Kat. And, you know, I guess here, here's my thing. I feel like the ego's job when it's an unhealthy ego is to perpetuate self-ignorance. <laughs> yeah, yes. You know, um, and in and a, and a manner of speaking, like, for me, like you said, I, at first I did think the Jaguar was cool. I was like, ooh. I, I mean, it think. is cool, by the way. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not cool. It's kind of cool. <laughs> but, you know, that was in the, in the mushroom experience. And as I came down from the mushroom experience, I really wanted to research. So I was like, how does this actually apply? Is, is this just my ego or does this actually have a connection to my ancestors? What was this used for in a practical way to help other people beyond just looking and sounding cool? Yeah, yeah You know, yeah. or looking and sounding powerful what do I have to change within me uh, as, as a physical being for it to actually matter, you know, right. to my walk as a human being, as a leader, um, as someone who is, you know, sharing information, how can I use it to be more deliberate in my actions and then also to be more accurate in what I'm saying and also uh, live, live in, live, living deeper into truth, you know, to, to really feel like I've earned that you know, to be able to even say anything about it. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's what really like brings it home for me. And and it's like just such a perfect that we're, that we are bringing it home right now in this episode is just that it's not just like, look at all these cool facts and it is cool on its own, by the way. And I want to really point out, by the way, like seeing your face as a cat and a jaguar and look, that's, that is dope. And I've actually had interesting shape-shifting experience as well. And it is awesome, but, but really um, I think this brings it home because it shows this is the question. This is actually my first question was this is the importance, right? Is the everything, everything that's revealed to us means something on a deeper level. If we take it beyond, this is cool. It's cool yes. to say it's cool. Absolutely. Acknowledge the cool shit. And then why am I seeing it is the next big question. Yes. And so many people don't go to the why am I seeing this right now? What does this do and for a lot this of journey? I think it's just a hallucination. And I think that that's where I really had to learn that it's okay to believe in magic because indigenous people will still believe in magic and they still 
believe that, you know, the hallucination or the awakened dreaming state is just as much real as our waking reality. Absolutely. And honoring that for me comes in the form of being practical with it. Yeah. And but practical and also observant of, you know, the level of respect that's given to having these experiences and the age at which it comes about, you know, like rites of passage. Like I didn't start having those experiences until I turned pretty much 21. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the mushroom was kind of bringing me closer to womanhood, you know, as I started to understand what motherhood looks like, as I started to understand what community leadership looks like, as I started to be uh, move more away from childhood into uh, becoming an adult who has a healed inner child, you know, rather mm-hmm. than being the inner child, but also guarding the inner child and using the inner child uh, to be able to communicate with others better. Yeah. I started recognizing that these animal systems or these shape-shifting systems to where you see Haru turning into uh, a falcon, like in Egypt, or you see Anubis, who's the jackal, who is, you know, the mortician of the gods, or you see Thoth, you know, and then you start to learn that, yes, there is a link between these animals you know, and the entheogens, and then also understanding how we play roles in our society, understanding the the spirit animal of the jackal, or or the consciousness of the jackal as it's picking, you know, meat off of its prey and making sure it doesn't rot, Mm -hmm. or leave a stench, you know, is those are the the tools that you're going to need, you know, as a as a mortician, or as a funerary rites person in ancient times, Mm -hmm. they were trying to learn from the experts in their field. And sometimes the experts in their field were animals. Wow, you know, they were truly learning from nature, and they were truly students of Mother Earth. And I think that that's something to be honored and venerated rather than be reduced into mysticism. And I guess you could say, um, mythicality. because it's not part of the Western philosophy system. There are so many houses of philosophy that are indigenous houses of philosophy, like the Fong and Gabon. You know, there are living masters of consciousness uh, who work with Iboka, who work with Ayahuasca, who work with uh, other indigenous entheogens. But because there's a plant involved, we've reduced them to, you know, this this voodoo, I guess you could say archetype of they're, they're working with something that's a hallucinogen. So they're not really obtaining any real knowledge from their experiences, you know? So I want to, I want to give them some more validation back and say, you know, we honor you and we honor your practice by observing your traditions. Some, some of which are not our own, some of which, you know, uh, we're, we're simply preserving for your descendants, you know, we're just, preserving it and honoring it and giving thanks for it but we're not uh, accepting it as our own tradition we're connecting with our own traditions and then we're learning about other traditions so that we can use their problem solving capabilities to help solve our modern issues you know like depression like anxiety uh, like you know liver disease and kidney disease and cancer and really paying attention to the fine detail you know when we're doing that I think yeah, that's wow. That's so it's so well said. And I agree with the whole like hallucinations. It bothers me too. When I do that. <laughs> it, it bothers me because yeah. I'm like, that's a good hypothesis. But that is just a hypothesis. I'm like, even even the idea of of um, consciousness comes from the brain. Right. That's a Western, <laughs> that's a Western idea. And, and look, I shout out to Michael Poland for bringing this up, who's definitely, you know, leans much more on the scientific side of things. Right. But even he said he was talking about a 
mm, I want to say it was the Dalai Lama and somebody's like, is it like a Western scientist? He's like, they're like, well, consciousness comes from the brain. He's like, well, that's a good hypothesis because that's all yep, it is. That's a good it's, hypothesis. It's, it's a good hypothesis because it's just one hypothesis. Like, And another hy- hypothesis is even that consciousness is a state of matter, you know, in the Bhagavad Gita and the uh, Science of Self-Realization book. It specifically says that Krishna isn't actually a deity, but the personality of 144 thousandths of a molecule. And that Shiva is also that atomic energy in motion. You know, like I love ancient philosophers talking about science because it just excites me. You know, that astrophysicist inside me that's like, hmm, I wonder where we're really at, like as far as our progress scientifically compared to ancient civilizations, you know, what they knew. Yeah, I'm really excited. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I'm just really excited that like there's, there's uh, researchers and scientists like yourself also doing uh, what intuitively feels right for you. That's, that's not throwing out just thousands of years of ancient wisdom saying like, "Eh, no, that's not for us because we just don't, you know, subscribe to it, to anything that we can't like measure. Right. I'm just, and I'm, but, but also I, I have gratitude also for the, the Western scientists that need the proof and, and all that, because we need both of you, right? We, this is how we move forward is, is it's all to me coming to a peak. It's all, we're all coming to this. We're all going to the same place. We're all going up the, up the same hill, but like from different directions. And I truly think we need each other. And yet I'm glad that, that this side of things are, are getting it to do with There's people like you that are really making sure that we're not losing this, not losing this while, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do. We need everyone in this big mix, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We need Western philosophy just as much as we need uh, other systems of philosophy. We need Western medicine just as much as we need Eastern medicine or any other kind of indigenous yeah. medicine. But here's the thing that I wanted to bring up because it's just on my heart. You know, I left college because I wanted Bridwell School of Humanities, not uh, Bridwell School of Theology to do a project, excuse me, called an engaged learning project where we bring two, uh, two professors from two different fields and we do a research, a creative research project with them. I want them to work with um, Hamilton School of Science, which is where my astrophysics degree was coming from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they just outright refused. And I just thought to myself, you know, there's so many mathematicians out there studying consciousness as a state of matter. Before, before we knew that bacteria existed, it was kind of like witchcraft. We didn't have the tools to verify their existence. So we basically admitted that we didn't know that they existed before, you know, microscopes were invented. We mm-hmm. just knew that there was something moving inside the body. We're such a young uh, medical or scientific society. We are very, very young. And I think that a lot of the things that ancient civilizations uh, experienced, you know, through uh, various means, we're not using the same tools as them. So Western science is basically taking the high ground saying, well, because we can't see it, it doesn't exist. And I think that consciousness is a little bit like that. In order to observe consciousness, you need a consciousness microscope. And I think that the best thing that we can use as a consciousness microscope is the human brain and the human body. Yeah, yeah. And, I and think magic mushrooms. A lot I'm just kidding. And magic mushrooms, yeah. Another, another uh, microscope for us. study consciousness with consciousness yeah. rather than trying to take an artificial, you know, a, a machine to do what a human can why not enlist a group of humans to also study consciousness on a deeper level? Because we know for a fact that it, it's so much more than what we were told. Even at this point, yeah. we're starting to realize 
as a collective that there's a lot more to what consciousness can do. And I think in order for us to move forward, we're going to need the help of both sides and just a lot of working together. Well, maybe you could could put together, you could put together that, uh, that, that study with humans. Yeah. I love, I love that. Like, of course you need, would you say the mind and the body is how we understand consciousness? Creating studies of minds and bodies somehow yes. in a contained that that would be more minds and bodies who take uh macro doses or micro doses of mushrooms <laughs> it would be interesting <laughs> because- i mean uh, that's something are they studying yeah. that do you know because like no that that to me like i've had straight up telepathic experiences yes. with people all on mushrooms the all the time right like, there's so many people before i met my wife uh we both you know my 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 wife um who passed away in may um, we were having conversations, full-blown conversations off the internet, just utilizing our minds with each other, you know, and even in this, you know, I'm, I'm in a newer relationship, you know, my wife passed away last year of heart disease in oh, May. So sorry. And that's partially why I'm, I'm consider I'm continuing to teach about different herbs for heart disease because it's a silent killer. Yeah. You know, the signs and symptoms are very small, you know, and so you know, I, I have a whole group of plants and herbs that we could have used to save her life. But, you know, when you get to a level of advanced uh, mm-hmm. uh, myocarditis or myocardial infarction, uh, there, there's not much that you can do, yeah. you know, so helping people keep their hearts healthy is something that I'm really inspired to mm. help people with. But on the telepathic note, I would, I, I can attest to the fact that there are a huge number of people who are experiencing other i guess you could say abilities showing up after working with certain entheogens that show that it builds new brain growth now remember in lucy how the girl you start using more than 10 percent of her brain and start having a bunch of crazy stuff i happen. haven't seen it but i know it's with a scarlett johansson right right but i i, I, I say that to say scientists really don't know what happens when we start building brain cells on a much higher level Right. Other things can happen that are traditional. And I think that, you know, maybe they should study us and see what they find. Yeah. You know, if they find nothing, that's one thing, but at least give it a chance to exist. You know? uh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm, I can, I can speak for myself. Like I have different spiritual gifts like coming online within the past year and a half that I never, never had. I, I like will channel. I'm having like visionary states. I'm having, you know, like I was saying, I'm, I'm parallel lives on experiences. I'm like, things are different the way that I'm seeing the world I'm straight up had like conversations in my head with somebody next to me that like we're like are any of us talking and were we just talking if you can and that to me is so that can actually be studied so I'm like any scientist hearing this especially on the western side get a get 12 or 15 people in a room put them all in a high dose of psilocybin and just experienced people experienced people (laughs) yes 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 that's a good point experienced people in a room and whatever you know whatever the scientific things are and just start to see like are there any unusual things that are happening because that tells you I was like well then you don't if we're starting to speak telepathically if we're starting to hear each other if we're if we're if some if there's group healing that's exponential that's happening on a on that level when every everybody on this level is focusing healing energy on a person there's so many things that we could be potentially trying technology it is technology that could come from it is is amazing Mm -hmm. and some of it we're seeing on higher doses of mushrooms some of the things that we've seen 
are technologies that I, you know, it, you cannot imagine, like with your human imagination, you know, certain things I've seen, you know, it, it, it is to the extent of beyond science fiction, beyond yeah. what science fiction is even showing us, you know, is that seven generations from now, if we really hone in on the human ability to be conscious, mm -hmm. um, perhaps seven generations from now, we could have a society that is consciously run. Uh, I just have to so, say, yeah. Acacia, this has been such an informative conversation. I can't wait to link all of your stuff. This is, oh, I hope it, I hope people, what is the date that uh, um, uh, Alchemy, Divine Alchemy starts in March? Divine Master Alchemy starts March 18th. March um, 18th. One of my honored elders' birthdays. And it ends on May 21st, which is the um, day that my my wife passed away last year. So it's honoring sacred dates and we'll we'll be studying a vast array of information. So if you if you have a hunger or a thirst for knowledge cool. and you don't want to to see the I don't I don't know how, how to put it, the metaphysical, sometimes I guess you could say jargon involved. We use actual medical research, actual anthropological and cultural relevant icons. We use actual books, you know, actual curriculum yeah. uh, to teach this stuff. You know, right now we left off on the Mushroom Doctor, which is a book on Scribd that's free that that talks about the lineage of Mazatuck shamans that Maria Sabina herself came from and their journey around the United States. Cool. So, well, I'm going yeah. to. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm going to be able to. I'm going to move this for you. So it's just going to be. This will be. I'm going to try and uh, release it before that so that people, if they want to sign up, can actually can actually do that. So I'll put all of your information. Where can people find you on socials so that they can just follow your work for what it's worth? Acacia underscore Lewis. It's A-C-A-C-E-A -A -E underscore L-E-W-I-S. And then my Facebook name is A-C-A-C-E-A. K-A-I-L-E-N-L-E-W-I-S on Facebook. Okay. And my website is divinemasteralchemy.com. Perfect. I'll link everything too. And yeah, I'll connect with you after and make sure that this hopefully comes out. I'm pretty sure it will before that release date. So if people feel inspired, they can they can join the class. Acacia, cool. thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure to connect with you. Same. Thank you. I really appreciate you just holding space for it and uh, I want to talk to you more in the future. So. Absolutely. And for everyone, as always, trip on this.